We, we are walking through this series in James, and uh, it has been deeply encouraging to me because of how practical and how direct and confrontational it is. And so as I sit here, like it doesn't take a lot um, to interpret a lot of things because it's just so plain before us. And so as we're walking through this, last week we talked about the fact that it is not about you. It's not about me. The kingdom of God is, has nothing to do with us, but it's so easy to let, uh, let the desire to be on the throne, to be glorified, or to get recognition. It's so easy to get caught in that. And so we talked about the war within, the war with man, and the war with God. Um, by the way, C.S. Lewis said it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's not thinking of, of yourself. And so the war within, we talked about last week, maybe. Hey, all right. We're waiting for connection. All right. That's not part of my notes, by the way. Um, I'm going to keep rolling, though. I think you have it on. The, yeah. Uh, so we talked about the war within. Hey, that's crazy. Oh, that's also crazy. All right, we're going to roll with it. Uh, the war within, and, and as the word of God said, James chapter 3, it said this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition, this, things that are going on where people cannot see exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And we saw the example of everybody's favorite show. The reason we love that show, that's a cool effect, by the way, this it looks like I did that on purpose. I did not, but it looks kind of cool. Anyway, the, the, everybody's favorite show, not everybody's, but some people love this show for 24 seasons of The Bachelor. The only reason you go there to watch that show is the discord. The, these women fighting over that one guy, right? And so it keeps us going back to that because it's entertaining. And so what's going on within it affects how we relate to people. And James chapter 4, especially it says in verse 2, that you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And last week I brought it up, it's the, it's the Tanya Harding effect. Um, do you remember, she, you can't even really tell, but that's Nancy Kerrigan, that's Tanya Harding, 1994, because she couldn't be number one, she, she hired somebody to club the legs of Nancy Kerrigan. And so that, it's the idea that I'm going to do whatever it takes to be, or to have what I want, or be what, be what I want to be. Thank you, Seth. I think that's you. Appreciate it, man. All right, so then there, there's this battling with with God, and, and by the way, last week we spent a little bit of time breaking open the idea that it says, <laughs> it says you adulterous people, uh, it says you adulterous people, it's, it's the idea that you are in a relationship with a spouse. You can't commit adultery if you're not married. Does that make sense? And so the idea, you're, you adulterous people, it's saying that you are holy unto God, you're set apart. That my wife is not willing to share my affection with anybody. And same with me towards my wife. And the same idea that the Spirit of God is not willing to share your affection with the world. 
friendship with the world is enmity. It's war with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so there's a battle plan, and uh, it just so neatly fit into the the sermon last week, but it really uh, was a major part of my last week. As I, as I spent a lot of time on the beach, it's crazy. Uh, by the way, the only time that spending time on the beach is just peaceful is before the sun rises. You know that? That's, nobody's there. It's just you and the Lord walking up and down. And so as I walked on this beach, we, uh, these four verses just kept rattling through my mind. It could be just a very easy way to pray, but there are ten imperatives not optional statements that James gives us. And I, I, I named it the battle plan because we're talking about wars within, wars with man and war with God. And so these, these 10 things, I just simply took all of them. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. It says he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. And that, that's about your actions Cleanse your hands. And remember, it was this, this picture of before you go into the temple, you washed your hands in the brazen basin, the bronze basin. It's the picture of Jesus himself suffered our, our sin, for, for our sin on the cross. He covered the, my sins so that I, when I ask forgiveness, when I, when I ask God to cleanse my hands, it's because of the blood of Jesus that he can do that. And so purify your hearts. Uh, that's from within, the area that people cannot see. It's, it's your innocence, if you want to think of it that, before the Lord. And it, be wretched, mourn, and weep. And don't laugh off all these things that are, uh, th- these convictions, or make light of them. But humble yourself before God. And, uh, and, and within all these things, this is what enables you to walk in peace with your brother. This is what enables you to walk in peace with God. The crazy thing is what enables you to walk in peace within. The, the feeling that you're set free and you have no battle in your heart. It's because those 10 things are happening within you. And so as we continue in the book of James, uh, we're going to spend time, uh, we're going to finish chapter 4, starting in verse 11, and we're going to take eight verses in chapter 5. Okay? Uh, we're going to pick up that thought, by the way. Uh, a couple of verses before we get into the message. Um, verse 11 says this. Because of the humility that you just walked in, verses 7 through 10. Because you're made low and made nothing, you don't think much of yourself, you don't think of yourself at all. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Don't slander or defame. The one who speaks self-righteously against a brother or judges his brother, idea hypocritically judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And the challenge, do not stand in the position that only God can do. 
Don't stand and act like as you execute justice that you're doing it on behalf of God. Only God can do that. As you determine, maybe you see an area of sin in a brother's life, if you are to cast judgment, you're missing the point. You have sin too. And so the same way that Jesus said, with the same judgment you pronounce for, let me read it as it reads here. (laughs) For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you you use, it will be measured to you. The same way that you judge others is the same way you're going to be judged yourself. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Be careful how you extend judgment because you're going to be judged in a similar way personally by the judge, by God himself. I'm going to drop another of your favorite shows. I I watched the first three or four years, uh, seasons of this show. It was entertaining. Then Simon Cowell, when he left, I'm out. Uh, He kind of made that show. Uh, If you remember, there's a lot of big names that came through that show. Can you believe that Carrie Underwood, she was like 17 years old at the time? Just an innocent teenager is what it seemed like. Like, It's crazy. But so so many people came through there and... And why do you watch that show? You sit at home on your couch and you judge how these singers sing. Your favorite episodes are not towards the end like the battle's getting heated. No, when everybody watches, everybody, is when you get to see this expression on Simon Cowell's face. You're sitting on your couch, comfortable, and you're judging these people, and they get up and sing. Listen, if somebody handed you a mic and said, you get up and sing, we'd be making fun of you. Right? So the same way that you judge other people, the same way Simon Cowell judges people, you're going to be judged by that same standard. There's only one lawgiver and judge. And it isn't you. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and it isn't you. He who is able to save and destroy. Now, God wrote the law, and He judges by the law, and He sees every thought and action in every person's life. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I can't judge because I don't see the heart of man. And let me be careful here, by the way. We're called to walk in discernment. We're called to examine ourselves so that we might be able to see clearly to remove the speck out of a brother's eye. So I don't want you to think that uh, this is saying, don't judge me, right? Everybody takes that verse out of context. The idea is humble yourself before God. Verse 7 through 10, humble yourself before God so that when you can judge others, you've taken the log out of your eye so that you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so we turn to verse 13, or chapter 13. We're going to, or verse 13, not chapter 13. There's only five chapters in James. But, uh, but we're going to talk today about insider trading. All right? Insider trading. Um, I, I know of an investment that is 
so sure that when you leave church today that you can bank on it. I mean, sell all that you have and chase after this thing because it's that sure it's going to take your investment and multiply it. All right? How many of you are going to be taking notes today, especially in the season of coronavirus? I want to know, like, I want to know what this is uh, because it's, it's going to more than... 10,000 times your money. It's going to multiply it so much. So for every $1, maybe it'll be $10,000 or $1,000. And so, by the way, a number of politicians, if you don't, don't know much about what insider trading is, I looked up specifically what the definition is. Um, it's the idea that uh, you're trading in a public company's stock by someone who has non-public material information about that stock for any reason. So you get a tip. It happened a couple months ago, if you watch the news. A couple politicians heard that this coronavirus was going to hit the society. And what did they do? I'm going to sell stock and all these things. I'm going to buy stock where they said this might really boost the economy in this area. And so they got a tip not in a public way, and took it and they multiplied their money overnight, right? Think about the companies you could invest in. I'm just being light, but Zoom, nobody heard of Zoom before coronavirus. Now all of us have Zoom meetings, right? It's crazy, all these things. Toilet paper, by the way. I hope you got stock in toilet paper before all this hit. But you have a corner on the market. You know what's coming and you move on it. But I'm going to tell you something that is public. It's legal. It's not illegal. Uh, and throughout the service, I'll just give you hints and we're going to end on it. But, uh, but the first thing, verses 13 through 17, this, this idea of time invested. Time invested. Time is free. So Harvey McKay said this. He's an American businessman. Uh, he's not a theologian, by the way. I'm not quoting uh, a theologian here. But time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. King David said it this way, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow, just a breath. That's our existence, a breath. Man is like a breath. Uh, if, you, if you go on Facebook and you click on time hop or year and on this day years ago, you know what I'm saying? Every couple days it pops up images that happened from your past. And I'm looking at little pictures of Jaden, uh, who's our oldest. He's 10 right now. And I remember all the little details about what life was like in the first years of us having Jaden. It, it throws me... And that's only eight or nine years. Some of you have children that are grandparents. And you still remember the details of what was, life was like. You were changing their diapers. It might not have been disposable diapers, but you were changing their cloth diapers. And you remember like it's yesterday. This makes sense. That life went by so fast Time flies so fast. Uh, the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90 said it this way. 
the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80, 80 years. That's a, a good life, 80 years you spent on this earth. Yet their span is but toil and trouble and they are soon gone and we fly away. And so verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Uh, early on in, in ministry, I remember I, I actually served as a senior adult pastor. I was the music pastor at, at a church in Georgia. And at the same time, they said, hey, uh, you can take trips to, to Golden Corral and go to different events. And so I loved it. I, was, I called myself a youth pastor for the senior adults. And uh, it was a sweet season, but I'm I'm, I'm 30 years old, 28, 30 years old, and I remember hearing all the time that, that you have your whole life in front of you. You're just a kid, right? You got your whole life in front of you, but the reality is every single human being in this room is as, just as close to death as the other. A baby is just as close to death as a senior adult. The mindset that you have your entire life in front of you causes you not to number your days. You think, I've got my whole life in front of me. I don't have to worry about numbering my days because I'm just a kid. But the challenge is to value every day that God allows you to live on this earth. So verse 13 says this, James 4, 13. Come now. You who say, <laughs> I got I feel like I'm down south. I heard a responsive. That's awesome. I said, come now. Come now. That's good. That's it. <laughs> I can roll with that, by the way. Doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, carry on business, and make profit. You're leaving God out of your plans. I just think I'll move here, do this, and then move to the next town and make money here. And, and, and it's like a business strategy or, or if it's just I just go where I want to go. I know God's my Lord and Savior, and if I die, I'll be in the presence of God. But he's not in your everyday plans. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You have no clue what is going to happen in your life tomorrow, Monday morning. What is your life? For you are a mist, a mist, literally a, a vapor. Just you spray cologne or perfume and it's there and then it's gone. You can still kind of smell the fragrance of it, but it's there, it's gone, right? Smoke coming out of a fire, a puff of smoke. It's there and it's gone. Where did it go? Breath on a cold day. You breathe in and breathe out uh, and, and you see it and then it's gone. My kids, uh, I love when they start discovering that when they first go to a cold place and, um, and they breathe like, oh my goodness, I can breathe. And you can see it, right? Uh, another thing is the, the steam coming off a, ke a kettle on the stove. You see it, you see it, and then you don't. 
It appears for a little time and it vanishes. It appears for a little time and then poof, it's gone. Uh, I've been a, a youth pastor Previously, uh, I, I was on and off helping in student ministry on and off for the last 15 years, whether a youth pastor or a helper, uh, really 16 years. And, uh, and I've been a lot, of, been not just to a lot of funerals, I've preached a lot of funerals of teenagers. Teenagers that had their whole life in front of them. Um, this kid, uh, his name was Johnny Lipscomb. Um, I'll never forget Johnny Lipscomb, the the day I die, he had such a tender heart for Jesus. God was stirring his heart. I remember getting a text from him late one night. He was so overwhelmingly burdened for his dad, who was lost, had nothing to do with Jesus, and didn't want to talk about Jesus. He was so burdened, and I remember, I can pull it up, I saved it somewhere. In a text, he said, Man, it just breaks my heart because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if something happened to my dad, he would be spending eternity separated from God. And he's texting this thing to me and saying, can you pray for my dad? I'd like to talk. Maybe you could help me uh, know how to share the gospel with him. I remember the last trip that I took Johnny on, ironically, was he's, he was from Georgia, but I brought my group up here to Carter Caves and we did a retreat one spring break. And that's when I really got to know Johnny. A couple months later, when I was at camp with a group of students, I get a phone call. Johnny didn't come to camp. I got a phone call, and uh, one of his hobbies was scuba diving. And as he was in the bottom, you're supposed to, to slow your heart rate down and focus on slowing it down. And he focused so much that he fell asleep underwater, lost consciousness, and died. He was 16 years old. And we left, my wife and I got in the car and drove straight down to Georgia, did a funeral and drove back up to camp uh, to spend the last day with the camp. And I, I'm speaking to a room full of 700 students at our church, sharing the gospel. And the crazy thing is, I, I can look in the face of everybody and say, make sure, make sure that you understand you only have today. You don't know what tomorrow comes. I was able to share his testimony, and kids' hearts were tender towards the gospel. Ironically, when God was stirring in our youth group, it was out of that season because of the message of Johnny Lipscomb. Another kid just a a little over a year ago, uh, Zakora. um, he was a basketball player. He came up through our Upward program in Georgia and uh, he, was, he was up and going, like he was going to have a scholarship opportunity when he graduated. He was, I believe, 16, um, 15, 16. He was on the JV team. And he fell over dead in a basketball game. I had an opportunity to preach his memorial service at Henry Baptist Church. And, and this kid had his whole life ahead of him. He, had, he was young. He had it all going for him. He had ridiculous basketball talent. He was on travel teams. He had his whole life in front of him. But it was gone. Uh, Michaela Penn, 
I didn't actually preach this funeral, but I was asked to come and counsel a whole school of students. A number of pastor, youth pastors came. Michaela was in the passenger seat going down Interstate 75, and her friend was driving, lost control, was going way too fast. Her friend walked away, and she died on impact. She had her whole life in front of her. And so it changes your perspective when you start thinking about kids who lost their life, who had their whole life in front of them. So what he says in verse 15, instead, instead of thinking I have my whole life in front of me, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if God desires that I live, I'm submitting to his lordship that God knows how many days I have on this earth. I have no clue. I'm submitting to his lordship. We will live. If God wills, we'll live. And we'll do this or that. Some believers are, are struggling to surrender their life to God because they're afraid if I surrender my life to God, God's gonna send me to Africa. I'll be a missionary. I'm afraid I'll surrender and God will do something that takes me so far out of my comfort zone, right? We say, I'm afraid I surrender to God that God's gonna test me with a, a, a terminal illness. I'm afraid that if I surrender to God, I'm not gonna be able to chase my best life now. How ironic that we feel secure when we have our life in our hands. There's no security in that but we feel like it's security. Warren Wearsby said this, the dangerous life is not in the will of God, but out of the will of God. That's a dangerous way of living, to chase after a life. It costs way too much to waste your life. Uh, what area in your life as we talk about these things, there's an area I've had strongholds in my life that I struggled to surrender, um, just different areas. And I start thinking, man, it's crazy that I think that I can do better to hold on to that stronghold. What area do you struggle to turn over to his lordship? And the reality is you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You surrender today so that your tomorrow is not living out of regret. I stand here, look at back at your life and think, man, I wish I would have let go of that. I wish I would have trusted God with that. Surrender tomorrow, today, so that when you stand in today, or tomorrow, you look back at today and say, I have no regrets. That was pretty deep. I'm going to get out of the deep end of the pool now. Um, and the will of God, I, I heard this quote years ago, and I have never forgotten it, that the will of God is hidden in the pursuit of Christ. You want to know and walk in the will of God, pursue Jesus. Every day, wake up and pursue Jesus. And so, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, I've got my whole life in front of me. I'm going to go make some money here and retire at the beach and, and live my best life now. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For him, it, there's the sin of 
commission when you do wrong things, right? When you do a wrong thing, it's commission. But there's also the sin of omission. And which is worse? Both. For him, it is sin. And so you've been granted this amount of time on this life. How are you going to invest this day? You don't know if you have the next day. You know you have this day. Number your days. And so he turns to chapter 5, turns this, this looking at money. Uh, and, and I put it money entrusted. Time invested, money entrusted. Because we have a mentality that I want to invest my money in the kingdom of God. I want to invest my money. I, don't, I was going to grab my wallet. It's not in my wallet. Uh, it's in the car. I forgot. Do you, you ever do that? You're in public. You're like, where's my wallet? And then you remember. Okay. So, uh, so I want to invest my money. John Piper said, wise people know that their money belongs to God. Every diamond nickel that you own belongs to God. He has entrusted you with that. Um, the world says that time is money and money is power, right? If you have money, you can do whatever you want. And, and how you invest your time, you can make money off your time, right? Uh, Jesus said this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not consisting based on the things that you have and the things that you can do. Hebrews said it no clearer than this. This is, if there's a theme verse for this concept, keep your life free from money, from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will take care of you. And so verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, now, come now. In other words, listen up, you rich. Um, it says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Have you mistaken the generosity of God for your own gain? Do you think that the possessions that you have are for you, and you begin to chase after the money God, that I need to find the American dream, I need to fulfill the desires of my pursuit, and money is the thing that enables me to pursue good, pursue the good life. What if God has blessed you financially for the sake of the gospel? Um, just for uh, clarity, I'm not a money-chasing preacher. I need to say that. Uh, man, my goodness, you turn on the TV, and there's one man after another that labels their pursuit as some agenda to build their kingdom of, of finance. Uh, Chester Napier, uh, he's not in the service right now. It's, he sent me a message, a video, and, uh, and I watched it. It's a man describing how we see the streets of gold in heaven, we see the streets of gold and think, my goodness, it's so rich up there. We're going to be so rich because they even have gold on the streets. But what I'm saying, listen, the message is the things we treasure here 
are just pavement up there. The gold that we so much treasure and desire here is just nothing more than pavement up there. There's a different thing that's valued in that kingdom. And so verse 4, behold, uh, and this is dealing with an instance in their church. Uh, behold, the wages of the laborers are who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you for vengeance. The things that you held against your brother. And by the way, as you'll see in verse 7 and 8, he's talking not about rich people that are in the church, but people that are in the church that suffered loss. You'll see in verse 7 and 8. But the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God himself said, vengeance is mine. That if you, the, the cries stirred in this, the, the vengeance, like how can you avenge this? You can't. He's encouraging them that it reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Uh, it's when you uh, promise pay, an employee promises pay and doesn't follow through. You put in the time and effort and didn't get paid. Um, one of my favorite quirky movies out there is called Napoleon Dynamite. And some of you, you're going to have to watch it three times before it's going to be funny to you. <laughs> but, uh, but if you have an odd sense of humor, it'll be funny the first time. But uh, he worked all day at a chicken farm. Stunk. It's sweaty hot. It's just, ugh. Gets to the end, he said, oh, I forgot my checkbook. You guys, can I pay you in change? And that's usually not a good sign that you're going to get what you made, right? And so, uh, funny scene, you'll have to watch it. Uh, anyway, uh, he's talking now to the rich, said you lived on the earth in luxury and, and in self-indulgence, chasing after the good life at the expense of the people that allowed you to have the good life, if you want to think that way. You took advantage of them. And in self-indulgence, self-gratification. And you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Before you slaughter a pig or slaughter a cow, you want them to eat a lot of grain and, and build up a lot of fluffiness, all right? Fattened. Uh, by the way, uh, I just need pause. <laughs> Uh, Americans are just so consumed with pleasure that they'll do whatever it can take to, to build their pleasure. And uh, uh, we are, by nature, uh, bigger people because we, we live in excess. The idea of fountain drinks is completely foreign in most of the places in the world. But if we go to a store and they give us a little cup and I can't get a refill, I'm not coming back to your store. All right, coming back to your restaurant. I want the steak and shake, the big one, so that I can drink it down and fill it up before I leave. Right? That's I'm an American. Right? <laughs> uh, but I go to places all over the world, uh, Tanzania. I'm double the size of every other man there. Um, like, that would be a big man in Tanzania. That's my brother, Richard. Um, he's an associate pastor in Tanzania. But I'm ginormous, and he's big for a Tanzanian, right? Uh, by the way, when you walk around anywhere in Africa and you're heavy, they think you're rich. 
because you have the funding that you can eat excess. You can have more food than you need, therefore being a little heftier than those around. You go to India. Uh, I, I went with a group. Uh, I led a group of, uh, I think, six college students, and we partnered to do, do children's camps. And, uh, and you should have seen the look on the eyes of the pedal rickshaw drivers, the, the ones that you get on the back and you hold on. They see a group of Americans are like, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the next group, right? Uh, like they're charging us 30 rupees when it should be about 10 because that's about what it's probably worth, right? Because I'm about three times the weight of those people. Um, but we live in wealth and excess. And, um, and so verse, verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He doesn't resist you. Uh, you step on others to build your own wealth, that idea. Uh, verse 7, be patient. Wait patiently, therefore, brothers. He's talking to the people that have been oppressed, that have been stepped on for another man to get wealth. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. If you are being oppressed by the wealthy, endure because glory is coming. See how a farmer waits expectingly uh, for the precious fruit of the, of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Firmly trust in God. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. Uh, his return uh, could be at any point today. He's calling us to live like that. At any point, one o'clock today, Jesus could return. By the way, James was saying the same thing to believers in the church almost 2,000 years ago. He looked at him and said, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but he looked at him and said, one o'clock today, Jesus could come back because the coming of the Lord is here now. It's at hand. It's near. And so I... Uh, one of my favorite church movies is Facing the Giants. How many of you guys have seen Facing the Giants? Um, really uh, powerful movie. Uh, I can never get the quote out of my mind of the, the older gentleman that walked the halls and prayed. Do you remember that? Uh, he prayed, and at the end, he comes in and tells the coach, encourages him with a, a word from the Lord. He said, I put the quote on. I actually went back and listened to it last night so I could put the exact quote on here and you could see for yourself. Sorry if that's tiny writing. Uh, I'll read it for you so you don't have to read it yourself. So it says, uh, I heard a story about two farmers who desperately needed rain. Both of them prayed for rain, but only one of them went out and prepared his field to receive it. Which one do you think trusted God to send the rain? The one that's standing there in the field praying that God would provide the rain or the one that's doing the work preparing so that when God does bring the rain, it's going to bring blessing. The one who prepared his field for it. And God will send the rain when he is ready. You need to prepare your field. Look, I'm powerless to bring the rain in my life. I'm powerless to cause fruit to grow. I'm powerless to protect, protect against tragedies in, in life. 
There's nothing I can do to keep from tragedies happening. I'm powerless to produce a harvest, see it through to ripe fruit on the vines. But I'm called to plow my field. My calling, God has given us the responsibility to plow. It's not clicking for some reason. God has given me the responsibility to plow my field, and he's given me the responsibility to sow seed. And that's it. The rest of the time, we trust God. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians as I close out. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly. Here's where your insider investment is right now. Every believer in the room, whoever spares sowingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He said each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly under under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and this next phrase is a New Testament concept. It's spoken in the Old Testament, and most people, when they talk about giving, they, they eliminate this concept, or they take it and take it so far out of bounds that it perverts the word of God. But verse 10, skip down to verse 10, uh, this is a New Testament promise. He who supplies seed to the sower. What's, what are we talking about seed? This is, he's talking about money. He's talking about financial blessing. That's what he's dealing with is about giving as unto the Lord. He's saying the, the person who supplies seed is talking about God. God supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. And listen, he'll multiply your seed Not for you to live in excess, doing what you want to do with your life and your money and your resources. He's supplying the seed for sowing more. Your money is not your own. What God has enabled you to have in your wallet is not for the purpose of spending on you. It's saying here that he'll multiply your seed for the purpose of sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so here's your insider trading tip of the morning. I'm going I'm to close in prayer, but my goodness, there, there is no greater investment than in the kingdom of God. And again, I'm not a money hunting preacher. That is not who I am. I'm calling on believers, including myself. I'm preaching to myself that the things that God has blessed me with is not for the purpose of me. But if you invest, you'll have more to invest. (laughs) If you invest your money, you'll have more to invest. Uh, That's the, the part of this this false teaching that's you turn on the TV and it's on the TV that says, if you invest, if you sow a seed into our ministry, by golly, you're going to make tenfold or whatever. All these promises, they missed the point. The blessing of God is not for you. You sow a seed, you give as unto the Lord, and when God brings the blessing of more, 
And you see that, or you sow that. So the more you invest, the more you have to invest.